Father, your, your word is living and active and powerful and it tells us of your son. It tells us of yourself from uh, a spiritual dimension that we are unfamiliar with. And as we walk in this sinful world, Lord God, we lose grasp of that truth. We lose grasp of who you are. We lose grasp of, of those eternal principles and and the gospel. And, and Lord, as we turn to your word again here this morning, we are so grateful for the opportunity to ask you to walk through it with us. We are so grateful for the fact that all that you do in and within us and, and from us and through us, Lord, that all of this is for the purpose of restoring us to relationship, uh, to restoring us to unhindered relationship with you to restoring us to unhindered relationship with each other and so very naturally as a part of that lord we ask that you would walk in relationship with us here even this morning as we open up your word i ask lord god as i preach your word father that you'd walk with me through it that your indwelling holy spirit would be a filling holy spirit for me and then, Lord, I would speak out of your spirit working within me and through me. Lord, I pray for my friends here as they listen to your word. I pray, Lord God, that, that you would search their hearts, that they would open their hearts for you to search. That they would yield themselves to your truth. And Lord, that we would be the body of Christ. That we would function as you would have for us to function. For your kingdom, for your glory, for your majesty. That you would be exalted above all things. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you something. Is, uh, what is the difference between something shining and something glowing? I mean, it's a slight nuance of difference, I guess, here. I mean, I had to look it up to ask, you know, find out what is the difference between something glowing and something shining? And when something glows, it generally has a steady light um, without flame. One example of this would be embers in a dying campfire. The embers glow. But the light is not their own. The light is not, is not uh, being produced by them. They're, they're, they're the result of what has lit them. Whereas, what's, what does it mean when something shines? To, to shine is to give out a bright light as the source of that light. A light bulb, the light bulb in a, in a huge lighthouse as it shines and casts its light in a, in a particular direction would be one case. I mean, think about if you're camping with someone and it's pitch dark and you're digging through something and you ask your friend or ask your spouse, would you shine some light over here? And, and they brought a little glowing stick from the fire. How good would that do you? They bring you something that's glowing light, but it's completely different than shining light on something dying embers glow but a flashlight shines the moon glows 
but the sun shines. In fact, the moon only reflects the light shining from the sun. And so as we come to the tail end of 1 Timothy 4 here this morning, we we see our need to let the truth shine from the inside out. That's how our relationship with God, our relationship with the gospel, our relationship with the unsaved world around us, with our children, with our grandchildren, was designed to function, that the truth would shine from us from the inside out. God's glory is described as shining. You can read in Revelation 1.16, in his right hand he held seven stars. Picturing this, this, this scene in God's throne room, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. It didn't glow, it shined God's glory. God's word is described as shining. In 1 Timothy 1.19 we can read, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as a lamp shining in a dark place, this, his word is. And the Christian is intended to be a shining in this present world. We're reminded in Philippians 2.14 and 15, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Can you see how you would appear differently than the world because of that? That you may be a blameless and that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. We're not called to glow from a past experience with God's fire. We're called to shine. Because we are in Christ Jesus. If we know him as our Savior, we are in Christ Jesus, who is the light of the world. And God is in us. Indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus confronts us with a household truth in Luke 8.16. When he says, no one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed. But they put it on a stand so that all those who enter may see the light. It's so that it can shine. And that's what we were intended to do, knowing Christ as our Savior. So how do we allow Jesus to shine through us from the inside out? We're not talking about posing. We're not talking about posturing. We're not talking about looking right on the outside when everything's in disarray, not working according to the gospel truth on the inside. How do we allow Jesus to shine through us from the inside out? You'll recall from last week that verses 7 through 8, they challenge us to consider the value of godliness. Where we read, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. 
And he's referring back to this idea of the value of godliness for all things. And then he references how important it is and should be to us. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Advancing in godliness is worth straining and agonizing as we looked at last week. Like Purdue last night, giving it all to make it into the Sweet 16. And Carson Edwards being absolutely on fire. Because they wanted it. Today we see what it was to look like. What, what, what it would look like for Pastor Timothy to shine for Christ in Ephesus. And so we read what the Apostle Paul writes to him. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. When, when Paul refers to these things, he does this several times in First Timothy. He's referring to the whole of the gospel, to the whole of the, the teaching that he has invested in Timothy and continues to encourage him in and challenges him to be a student of. Timothy was about between 25 and 35 years old. He was, he was definitely younger than the leaders there in the church in Ephesus as well as the false teachers in Ephesus, would have been older than he. And part of his responsibility was to hold down the fort for the Apostle Paul. And that's what we read in verse 13. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now, we have this tendency, we've seen this before, that when the word save pops up, we automatically think of eternal salvation. We've talked about how how. Some English words become uh, better understood in the New Testament's original language because there's several words for them, like love. But some words in the, in, in the English language, there's several words in the English language like save, deliver, provide for. They get summed up by one word. In, in Greek, the term for save. So we have this tendency, whenever we read the term save, we read it as eternal salvation, salvation from hell. But just as with other times, this term it means so much more than that. It means deliverance. It means progression. It means providing for. And so when he challenges Timothy that by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers, he's talking about the gospel-centered life and how it brings us to, it's intended to bring us back to restoration in our relationship with God, saved in that way, restoration in our relationships with each other, redemption of what sin has harmed, reconciliation in this life. 
That's what saved is talking about here. Growth. The impact, the full impact of the gospel. You know, Kelly and I were talking recently about what I wear to church. As you can probably tell. But um, she just suggested, why don't you mix it up a little bit? You know, why, why does the suit just have to come out for Easter, for weddings, for funerals, and things like that? And I thought, okay, you know, why not, you know, as long as I don't have to wear a tie. Um, I, I wore this suit when I handed off my daughter in December. Last time I wore it. This suit has fond memories for me. And I thought this morning about the fact that for, for many of you, and I don't mean to be morbid, but for many of you, this is a suit that I will wear unless you just tell your loved ones, I don't want that guy doing my funeral. <laughs> this is a suit that I will wear when we put you in the ground. Maybe even these shoes. I mean, that's our relationship with each other. The most significant areas of life. Your family is going to listen to me in this suit. We're going to talk about your life. We're going to talk about what was important to you. We're going to talk about their love for you. Let us reflect on how you gave up everything and let God take charge. Let us reflect on how it was your desire to shine, for God to shine, even through your frailties, even through your weaknesses, how God shined his light through you from the inside out. Let us talk about that. Lay yourself out before him now. Give him your full life now and see what he will do between now and then. We see today that building godliness in our lives is not just profitable for us. It's also profitable for those who depend on us, just like with Timothy, who depend on us to be what God designed for us to be as he brings that salvation, that restoration, that redemption, that reconciliation that the gospel does in our lives. I want to challenge you now to boldly proclaim gospel truth. The Apostle Paul says to Timothy, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set at the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. There, there's two aspects of this, this idea here when he says let no one despise you. It's not just don't let people have negative feelings. There's a, there's a physical aspect of posturing and intimidation. And also the verb has, has such a tense that he's being told, stop the continuance of this action that's already going on. Paul is saying, stop allowing these people to push you around. And he's to do so by letting them to see his good character. 
flowing from the inside out. And I challenge you, boldly proclaim the gospel truth in what you say, just as he says to Timothy. When he says command and teach these things, he's to be constantly commanding and teaching. Warren Wiersbe says the local church is a unit in God's spiritual army and its leaders are to pass God's orders along to the people with authority and with conviction. And recall, though, that the whole theme that we are seeing here in 1 Timothy is that our goal of this charge, which is the same as this command that Timothy is to be giving, the goal of all of this is love. Flowing from the inside out. Flowing from a changed heart. The goal is not manipulate behavior so that people behave on the outside, but they're not changed on the inside. That's worthless. That's formulaic legalism. It has no value. And I've thought lately about the four soils. The story of the sower, the parable of the sower that Jesus taught. That, that, that the sower is to be out, to go out and, and to, to faithfully sow the seed, which, which he says is the word of God. And it falls on all sorts of different kinds of soils. It falls on hard-packed ground, which he said is, is like a, the person's heart that, that as soon as the seed is sown, Satan comes and takes it away. It falls on ground that's shallow and scorched, and the plant is eventually scorched by the sun and withers away. It falls on, on ground that's crowded by weeds. And Jesus says that's like the word of God landing on a person's heart. But there's just so much distraction there that the pleasures and the, and the, the worries of this world choke it out. Let me ask you something. How often does it happen that you read God's word in the morning and by like noon you can't even remember what he showed you? I study God's word, and I might look back over a sermon that I preached a month ago and be like, I preached that? The worries, the pressures, the pleasures of this world can choke it out. Don't be surprised that you might have to share the gospel again and again and again. I've heard the average person, before receiving Christ as their Savior, hears the gospel seven times before it registers. The gospel is working against all these things. God's Holy Spirit is working against all these things, but there is fertile soil. There is healthy soil of the heart. It been, has been cultivated by God's grace that his word, his truth falls on and it bears fruit. One writer said in, in talking about this, and it, it caused me to think about this more, he said, proclaiming God's word is like no other work. Because the preacher goes away and comes back, and it's all been undone. Well, not all been undone, but much of it has been snatched away by the enemy. Much of it has been choked out by the world. It's been disassembled. But we continue to proclaim his truth. And the fact is, the preacher can identify with all those pressures, with all those worries. I understand that. It's a constant work of spreading the authority of God's truth. And when I talk about proclaiming gospel truth, 
Of course, we're talking about the fact that we do not deserve or earn or gain a relationship with God based on who we are. Like the chalkboard says down here, I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. But he gave himself for me. And in throwing myself on God's grace because of the person and work of Jesus and receiving relationship with him and dwelt by his Holy Spirit, I am changed forever. That is the gospel. I challenge you also to boldly proclaim gospel truth in how you live. Timothy was challenged, shut their mouths By being an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. One Puritan writer, Thomas Brooks, said, Example is the most powerful rhetoric. You know, one of the things that I I was just like in awe of when we were at Founders Week is the person doing sign language, you know, through the whole thing, through the songs, they would like hold out the signs as the songs would be going on and people would be watching her and nodding their heads and things like that. What if that person was just faking it, right? Well, it, it'd be pointless, right? Because those signs that she's making or that he's making are supposed to represent truth. They're rep- supposed to represent ideas. They're supposed to represent um, uh, actual words, now, I appreciate Francis Assisi's, I think it was him, his quote, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. But the gospel is made up of authoritative words. I agree that actions speak louder than words, but actions have no meaning without words. Your testimony is a message of the difference that God has made in you. Sometimes people only see the difference. And they need to hear, you know what? I wasn't always like this. This is what I used to be. This is what God made me into. We must put our example in the context of a changed life with words, with truth. Who you are in light of who you were. Boy, I'm running behind here. Secondly, I want to challenge you. Consistently pursue your main method. A church's main method should be the proclamation of the scriptures. That is our main method for doing what we are called to do, for shining the truth into people's lives. That's why Timothy is told, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture to exhortation, to teaching. In essence, Paul is saying, Timothy, you have no authority. The authority of your ministry is sourced in the authority of God's word. You see, authority is something that stands over both of us that says, inasmuch as this preacher is speaking to you from this authority, listen to it. It's an authority that stands over me of God's word. It's an authority that stands over you of God's word. Exhortation literally means encouragement. It suggests applying the word to people's lives. 
Timothy and the teaching elders are to read the word, explain the word, and apply the word. You know, it's funny to see uh, when I watch, uh, you know, I love the amazing race. And, and they'll go into some of these countries where the driving is just nuts. It's like in Haiti or St. Kitts, for, as some of you have experienced. And it was, it, was, it was so funny for them to be in a driving school in, in India. It's like, what is the point? Like, who defines who has the right of way? You know, try to tell a truck, uh, you know, a semi-truck that's coming down your lane, hey, get out of the way. The book says I have the right of way. Because there's a complete undermining of the authority of that law. But we live under the authority of God's word. It has the ultimate authority. It's what we will be evaluated by. What we are expected to apply to every area of our life. It's sown in our values. It's sown in your values. That the Lord led me to see in first coming here. Our way of doing things that we want in everything that we do. We only value it in everything that we do. If it's done under the authority of God's word. Applying the truth to daily life. Way to go, harvest. Way to go. But we should also pursue your main method through God's unique way of working through us. He speaks of Timothy's gift that he's not to neglect, that he has, that was given to him by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on him. It's, it's pos- T- Timothy had a teaching gift, this proclamation gift that, that Paul is referring to here, that he's to be faithful to. It's possible that this was bestowed on him. All of us have a spiritual, at least one spiritual gift, which is a gift from God. That, that, that we gain when we come to know Christ as our Savior, when that Holy Spirit, His Holy Spirit indwells us. It's kind of like saying, okay, and this is how I'm going to use you. And it may be that when Timothy accepted this calling to Ephesus, that he gained this spiritual gift of teaching. We don't know, but, you know, I've shown you this picture before that to me is, is uh, uh, it reminds me of how spiritual gifts work. If you think of yourself as like this canister, right? And and when you come to know Christ as your Savior, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is poured within you. And we experience greater or lesser times of being filled with His Spirit. Okay? So if you had a bunch of rocks in this canister and you poured that yellow liquid there into it, the more rocks you have in there, the less it is filled with that liquid, right? The more you were to allow those things to get dug out and worked out and, and, and allow godliness to take root, if you will, the more and more you are filled then with the Holy Spirit. And, and we should be pursuing a filling of the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. But those little spouts here kind of represent some of the spiritual gifts that a person might have. And, and the, 
the, the way that we discover what our spiritual gift is, is we put them into practice. We give them a try. We pray through, Lord, do you want me to give this try out and stuff? And when we go to use that, indwelt by the Holy Spirit at salvation, filled with the Spirit by walking by the Spirit, by walking in, in, in close relationship with God, when we open that spout, maybe it's of helping people, maybe it's of leading people. When we open that spout, the Holy Spirit flows out. He works. He impacts people. He changes their lives. He makes a difference. And we're just opening the spout up. Our spiritual gift is where the Holy Spirit works. When we allow him to use us and dwelt with him at salvation, filled with him in a close walk with him. Spiritual gifts, it's, it's where God is going to work through you the most. And it's him that does the work of ministry. You have to be careful with this passage because these verses really resonate with me. I, I took a, a DISC test recently. DISC stands for four different personality types you can have. D is dominant. N is I is influencer. Um, S is stable. And C is uh, conscientious. Okay, I am about as high as a person can be on conscientious, okay? And, and what that means is that can be a lot of good things, but that can be, when it comes to studying God's word, it can be a bad thing. It can be like, oh, I haven't studied enough. Maybe, it, you know, I need to ch read this over here. Okay, maybe I need to understand this aspect over here. And like never get to the application or be afraid to preach it because, well, what if it's wrong? That can be a downside. I can, be, I can justify being all about doctrinal purity without applicational growth. The fact is, though, that the a purpose of our studying and teaching is that we grow. Shining God's truth from the inside out means to diligently practice personal growth. Paul tells Timothy, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And as we talked about, you will help them to continue progressing and being redeemed and being restored and being reconciled in relationship with one another and with God. Look at all the dynamic terms here. Practice, immerse yourself, which means be in them. Give yourself totally to them. And see, Timothy's progress here, it's kind of a military term. <clears throat> One writer says, it describes the soldiers who go ahead of the troops, clearing the way and the obstacles and making it possible for others to follow. Timothy was to grow spiritually so that the whole church could see his spiritual progress and imitate it. And he tells him, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Notice, real important here, watching ourselves comes first. Letting our pursuit of godliness slide, it only clouds our thinking. It only clouds our understanding. It will hinder our ability to evaluate our doctrine. 
We start reading the Bible and seeing everybody else's junk, right? We start sitting in sermons and thinking, man, I wish so-and-so was here. They need to hear that, right? Because really, we've been letting our pride build up. We're not watching ourselves. We've been letting our our excuses build up. We've been letting our self-pity build up because we're not watching ourselves. We're not laying ourselves out before God. He says to persist in this. Devote yourself to be absorbed in it. I remember what a professor said, and I, I hear this professor almost on a weekly basis. He says, when you think you're almost done studying, keep your tail in the chair. Keep your tail in the chair. And it's amazing the things that we learn after we make that decision. To keep your tail in the chair. But this principle applies far more than just understanding God's word. It includes understanding ourselves and all of life through God's word. It includes our lives being in alignment with the truth of God's word. Don't miss out on that. We shouldn't stop until we understand it all through God's word. That's a horizon issue. That is something that we should be moving to for the rest of our lives. And we must return to God's word whenever we find ourselves drifting. The New Bible Commentary says, The two things belong together. Right doctrine without godly living is of no value. While godly, a godly life without rock, right doctrine is impossible. You know why? It's not from the inside out. It's from the outside in. Godly living without God's truth changing us from the inside out is just formulaic legalism. I do this, I don't do this. The gospel reminds us it's all been done. And it reminds us and assures us of that and implies it to us daily. I was interested in an in a, a interview I heard on Sold Out Sports Talk with Roman Gabriel III. Uh, Ryan Leaf is a, a former San Diego Chargers quarterback. And Ryan, through injury and such and, and heartache and pain, he, he got addicted to uh, prescription drugs. He got totally consumed with that, ended up doing time in prison because of his drug addiction. Now he speaks to others about the danger of drug abuse and recovery and the power of the gospel. Here's what was, was really hit me about this. He said, you know what? In all of these talks that I do, in all of these messages that I give, in all of these interviews that I do, I have mentors and accountability partners that make sure that I'm still working on it myself. And as a pastor, I know exactly why that is. Because we will start replacing what, what God should be doing, what we should be allowing God to be doing in our life with the stuff we're doing for him. Oh, well, I talked to that person about Christ. I'm good. Well, I preached a message in front of everybody. I'm good. Well, look at how good my kids are. I'm good. But we got to still keep persisting, immersing ourselves 
progressing, growing. And don't believe the lie that what I do replaces being reminded of who I am in Christ. Because in the end, it's not what we do that matters. It's what he's done. It's what who he is that matters. And that's what the enemy will steal away from you and replace it with the junk that you do. And the outside in begins to replace the inside out. Because the goal of all of this is love. Greater love for God, greater love for others. I'll share with you before maybe a story about the young lumberjack that uh, showed up at work, started working, blew the quota out of the, out of the, the water. And the next day he was struggling. And his numbers were going down. A couple of days later, he's not even meeting his quota of how many trees he's felled. The supervisor finally has to sit down with him and says, what's going on? I'm going to have to let you go if you can't catch up. He says, I don't know. It's like the harder I try, the less work gets done, the less trees I fall. The supervisor says, wait a second. Let me see your act. Takes it, runs his thumb across the blade. Dull as a butter knife. Probably duller, I guess. Of course, what he forgot to do, sharpen his axe. You have got to immerse yourself in the truth of the gospel for the sake of your kids, for the sake of your spouse, for the sake of your grandchildren, for the sake of the neighbor, but, but for the blessing of yourself. You have got to sharpen your axe. You've got to remind yourself of who you are in Christ. And what makes it awesome is who he is, what he's done. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you that it has all been done. Thank you so much that I am not up here needing to challenge my friends here to try harder to do more, to be more. But that our challenge is to look to you. Our challenge is to know you. Our challenge is to be reminded of your truth and to let go of thinking that we are something ourselves. And to let you be glo bring glory to yourself. Father, I pray that you'd amaze me, you'd amaze my friends here with the gospel this week. And that you'd give us the joy of being used by you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.